You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, Bunk? All right, Rich, we are doing the third part to the massive crossover event with the Certain POV Network of Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, I mean, if you haven't listened to the first two parts at this point, you, uh, you've you messed up. So you need to go back. You need to listen to the real movie guy versus the cynic. Nope, I messed that one up. The real movie critic versus the cynic guy on the Certain POV Network. And then go over to We Have Issues here on the Geek Elite Media Network. And now you're with the Mitch and Rich Show. And soon you'll be with Men of Steel. So, but oh, so here's what we here's what we got to do though. So I know I know we're breaking all of these up and parts for the podcast, and that's awesome. But someone needs to put a four minute and or four hour and two minute recording <laughs> of all this together, and then you can watch it with the Snyder cut as like our commentary. So it'd be like oh a super mega crossover yes. commentary to the movie in real time while you're watching it. That would be the way to go. If that happens, I just might watch it again for the third time. (laughs) Yeah, I would want to do a proper uh, riff track, so this would require uh, a $70 million uh, investment for us to all sit down with a big bag of edibles and like some beverages <laughs> and like maybe maybe buffalo wings like could we get like yeah, I don't know like platters for some each nachos, of us nachos please pizza nachos. I need oh nachos. yeah and nachos yeah yeah absolutely um, and, and then we can but all just en- enjoy the Snyder Cut uh, and mostly just talk to each other and be like oh is this still going on oh I guess it's still going on <laughs> Yay, obviously cyber. the way that Zack Snyder had intended it all yeah. along <laughs> Let's get into introducing everybody first, though. You heard a second ago was Case Aiken from the Men of Steel podcast. Hi, I'm Case. I have terrible podcast etiquette. (laughs) (laughs) Also, his partner, Jay Mike. Hello, I am also part of the Men of Steel podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And the podcast that I screwed up already, The Real Movie Critic. Hey, what's up, everybody? How's Martin Jr. in the flesh? I'm Steven. I'm a guy. Sorry. <laughs> Dang it, Steven. I was messing up. <laughs> Not my fault. That was like, you know, that was a transition for us, too, you know. Let, let him and, talk. Let him talk. Sorry. Go ahead, Mitch. <laughs> and the Synagogue. <laughs> Hello, I'm Steven Go the Synagogue. You like my shirt? Now you no, hate I it, I know. No. <laughs> uh, the, the two hosts from the newest podcast on the Geek Elite Media Network, we have issues. Keith. Hey, guys. Uh, Keith from We Have Issues. Excited to be here with y'all. This has been a lot of fun so far. And Jose. Josue. Hey, Josue here. How's everybody doing? <laughs> and they definitely have issues. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. They have issues with the Snyder Cut. <laughs> yeah, I have issues with the Snyder Cut. <laughs> Rich, before we get into uh, a bigger conversation first, I wanted to ask you, what about this cinematically cinematically sorry like did you find that was maybe good or bad <laughs> um 
Wow, that's a that's a that is a good question. Well, uh, we we talked a little bit about it um, on the on the previous part of it, and I, I just think from like a filmmaking standpoint, especially for someone who's into cinema, like it's really interesting to be able to get the chance to actually watch kind of two different, very different takes in a way, right? It's still fundamentally like the same movie, which is kind of weird. But, like, the tonality and everything is just completely different from, like, the color usage, the the editing, of course, because one's half the time that the other one is. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, I, I definitely think there's elements to each of them that work. But fundamentally, I, I personally like the visual aesthetics of the Snyder Cut better. Um, but that's just me. Like, I tr- when I think of DC, which I'll, I'll be clear, like, I'm not the biggest comic book person like i have a familiar knowledge of them but like i don't have an intimate knowledge of them if you will right so for me like i i kind of prefer the darker tonality when it comes to dc because that's just for some reason where my mind with it goes um then when i think of marvel it's traditionally very bright and vibrant and that in my mind but that's probably just my ignorance uh more than anything um so there's that, and then I think, interestingly, from a cinematic standpoint, too, there's moments in each movie when you watch them both that you're like, oh, this is this feels like Whedon. And then there's stuff that you... Like the cyborg scene, right? The football scene for cyborg. That is so overtly uh, Zack Snyder like that you're like, wow. And, and so just those little things. And even the moment where... The Wonder Woman moment where... Uh, the terrorists are going in, like, the music selections and choices that were done, like, I think the Snyder version of that scene goes on for far too long, but the musical choice that accompanies it is is so much more dramatic to me, whereas, like, the Whedon one almost feels a little bit more like, oh, we're gonna go in here and kill people, you know? Like, so, I, I don't know, it's just, like, really fascinating from all of those things, but again, I, I really don't think one of them is necessarily better than the other, I think a lot of it's just going to depend on what you're looking for in terms of the aesthetic and how much time you want to invest into watching a Justice League movie, right? So one of the things I find interesting is that in all the on-set photos that you see of Zack Snyder in this, uh, for this movie, uh, he's usually the one that's behind the camera himself, right? He's, he's looking through the lens. He's, he's doing all this shit. But there is a on-record cinematographer for this. This is uh, Fabian Wagner. Uh, looking at his uh, filmography, it's a lot of television. He's got a lot of Game of Thrones episodes. He's got Da Vinci's Demons. He's got White Queen, Sherlock, a, a whole bunch. Um, is there anything about this style in filming that you that particularly stuck out for you? Um, I don't think there's necessarily anything. It's not like it. It doesn't necessarily feel like a TV show or anything like that. And I mean, you talk about the onset photos, and it's like, yeah, of course, there's going to be photos of Snyder behind a camera, right? Like, but I mean, that's the great mark of any cinematographer is to capture the director's vision through the lens of the camera, right? Like, that really is fundamentally their job. And if you work with a director that allows for pretty heavy collaboration, you might have some more freedom to kind of do what you think is best artistically or, or creatively for the story's vision, right? But fundamentally, their job is there to capture through the lens the, the director's story, right? Um, again, the biggest thing that I could just keep going back to is just watching the two of them together, and it's more of the post work that's done to that capturing, right? Because cinematically, they're using very they're using a lot of the same footage. Um, 
Snyder obviously doubled that amount of footage, right? Which allegedly <laughs> a lot of that was shot previous, just wasn't used. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't think we'll ever know if that's completely true. Um, but I think it's captured very well. I mean, I think it's what you would expect cinematically to see from a very high-end, very high-budgeted film, right? Um, but again, you know, the camera angles and the choices that are, that are used, I think, placate well to visually what they're trying to accomplish. Like, I don't think there's... Nothing fell out of sorts for me in terms of the cinematography. I just think it's more interesting to see how that cinematography was then used on the post end to really alter and manipulate like the viewer's mood and the world and the vibe and all that sort of stuff. That's what I found to be the most interesting of all of it, you know? Anybody else uh, have any thoughts on the cinematography in general? Why does Snyder like slow-mo? That's my question. <laughs> like, I know that's his thing, but that doesn't mean he has to do it all the time. Like, seriously, yes, it does. I think he, I think he <laughs> thinks it builds tension. Like, that, to me, that's the only thing that that, that could possibly be what it is. Because if you go back to three hundred, mm-hmm. like the the scene of Leonidas coming in and taking out all those guys with just this, his sword one by one, it's like, is he going to eventually get hit, or is he going to make it all the way to? Uh, the King God. I forget what his Xerxes. name was. Oh, Xerxes. Xerxes, yeah. Art of Xerxes, yeah. yeah. I think that the, the, the slowdown speed up element um, was a choice made with 300 and has continued through all of his like comic book adaptations in particular um, because it works very well to try to capture panels. Like 300, unlike all of these other ones, have been very was a direct adaptation of a work. Um, and a lot of those like points where the slowdown occurred was exactly the moments where we got the panel in the comic that was put out by Frank Miller. Um, and that was responded to very well. That's probably the thing people praised the most about 300. And so when you get into the, the later movies, like it's, there's some of it in, in Man of Steel. Most of that could be argued to be... Uh, uh, like super speed stuff, but like I think it's a bigger issue with Batman vs Superman and with this, where it's like, where are the frames that people are going to find really cinematic and beautiful that like you could capture and say, look how gorgeous this shot was. Like Wonder Woman throwing the explosion, and it's like this very long slow mo of it like <laughs> oh rising gosh. up in the air. It looks really good. Like the movie isn't like I, I don't know if it's paced well. But, like, if you're just saying, is that a good-looking frame, it's a good-looking frame. Yeah. Completely unnecessary. Well, well, but I would agree with you. Like, I think if those moments had been really selectively dialed in, I think it would have had a much more impact. Because I agree with you. Like, when when I compared it to the 2017 version and she kind of just jumps up and throws the bomb out the window and it goes off, it's not nearly as, like, grandiose cinematic as her flying up through the air and, like, launching this thing. But then, in contrast to that, you get the shot of Aquaman walking down the pier, littering the ocean with this glass bottle that he just (laughs) drank and smashes it. And then you get the Leonidas shot again of this, like, you know, giant uh, tsunami coming in, and it's just a close-up of his face in slow-mo with water splashing on him. That I, I, that's where you're like, okay, that moment didn't necessarily need to be there. Like, sure, visually it looks cool, but it doesn't have the same kind of like gravitas as the as the Wonder Woman one does. So I think like if you have those moments and they would have been, I guess, more methodically picked, I, I definitely would agree with you that that is a strong reason to do that is to build that moment of where you're capturing kind of that very cinematic comic book transitional frame thing and you're like saying hey and and i don't know if it necessarily builds tension but i think it does kind of 
when utilized correctly and in in conservative natures, I think it draws you in that moment a little bit more because you're like, oh, wow. Because everything else has been so like, oh, we're shooting, we're blowing up, we're doing all this. And then it's like this moment of just standing still really does kind of make you dial in if it's not done every other minute, right? Like, I think that's the problem is it's so heavy-handed in this that it does start detracting from those moments yeah. where you're like, oh, that was a good moment. It seems like you should have saved it for all the flash scenes, to be quite honest. And it did add one where it reminded me so much of X-Men Days of Future Past with Quicksilver, where how they introduced Flash and how he saved that, that one girl from that accident. <laughs> and I just couldn't help and shake to think, like, okay, so you're copying from X-Men now and things. But this is where I think slow-mo makes sense at the same time, all right? And maybe Snyder should have saved those scenes for that. Maybe he should have directed the Flash movie instead of this. But anyway, but... Yeah, yeah that I would be know. a natural movie for Snyder, where it's just yeah. like, everything is speed up, <laughs> slow down. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it would have made more sense, you know, uh, just for the Flash scenes alone. You know, I think that would have made more sense instead of having five minutes of seeing Wonder Woman throw a bomb in the air. But anyway... <laughs> um, <laughs> Right, but also yeah. just to like the the counterbalance in the Quicksilver is that like the the WB or pardon me the CW version of the Flash has like had those kind of scenes too. Like if you're illustrating slow mo or like rather super speedsters, having everyone else in slow mo is a common way of showing it. I think um, if we're talking about Zack Snyder's slow mo, um, you mentioned 300. I think it's a good comparison because with 300, I thought it was done really well. But if you look at the shots in 300 that are slow mode, they're very cinematic. They're very, they're almost, they could almost be a painting on a wall. Whereas Wonder Woman going like this and a bomb in her head, that's not a painting on a wall. Like that, and so to compare it to Thor Ragnarok, think about all the awesome landscape shots that were slow mode just to give you a moment to appreciate it. Like all the scenes on the Rainbow Bridge and everything like that. Like, it was done specifically that way in slow-mo to give the audience a chance to digest every bit of it and really appreciate it. Whereas this, it was just done to be done. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. No, but that's uh, what I mean. It does feel uh, really heavy-handed because even going back to that flash sequence, like it gets really creepy because he just <laughs> met this girl and she's yeah. flying through the air about to die and he takes time to like brush her hair out of her face yeah. and then run his hand down her face. And I'm like... That's really creepy, dude. A little too much. Oh, and steal a hot dog, which I couldn't yes. help but think was kind of phallic in nature. <laughs> yes. Uh, I also want to say I'm, I'm glad Keith and uh, Josue are here because not only do they do the We Have Issues podcast, they also do the Jukebox Vertigo podcast. So I want to talk about the music in this because I know nothing about music. We originally had in the 2017 version... Uh, big composer it's always in uh, all the superhero stuff especially batman han zimmer han zimmer no danny elfman danny elfman, danny elfman thank Sorry. you love me some danny elfman so danny elfman in that one we have junkie xl returning for this one like what are the differences here because and i'm gonna, i'm being completely honest i don't know the differences because i don't pay attention to that so I, i'm the one that hosts uh, jukebox vertigo it's super fun check it out um so the mu- the music in this one definitely changed like we we're talking about the scandinavian girl who just Let's it riff for like ever. <laughs> I, again, I, I would have want. I would have. If it wasn't on for that long, I would have appreciated some like subtitles to maybe understand what was being sung to see what was she like singing out to him. But then she goes and sniffs it. 
Um, but then well, the I next think the part, sniffing, the sniffing definitely tells you what she was saying. She's like, "Hey, I really love you. You're walking away <laughs> from me." Kind right. of thing. I, I want you to steal a hot like dog seaweed. while I'm suspended in midair. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but then the next one with, with Aquaman, that the one that really changed, and um, I guess it really changed because it would have been too mainstream. But at the same time, what bugs me about Snyder is that I feel like he just has to be deliberately on the nose with a uh, "There's my kingdom, there's my king" song with Aquaman. I would have just straight up just taken Iggy Thump uh, again, <laughs> just to get the feel of Aquaman and just like more fun, just like just maybe wake me up just at some point in the movie. But damn, does he just have to be so on the nose with with that song and that part, just him staring around in the sea, and then just we get the sequence of him going out to his kingdom. Way to go, we we got it, Zack Snyder. <laughs> yeah. on, on the nose is the best description, uh, and that's that's not just a Zack Snyder problem; that's a DC problem. Uh, Suicide Squad is the worst example of that. Ooh. Every song is a literal... It's literally a song telling you what's happening on screen every time a song plays. And it's it's really... It really bothers me. As far as this one goes, um, to be frank, I hated the score for the first third of the movie because it was all really slow. Yeah. Like, there was never... It, there was no change of pace. It was just dreary. And about the time the Flash sequence happened and they slow mode, and it was another dreary song. Like, it can be a slow song, but it can be, like, a fun slow song, you know? But it was just, again, really dreary. And after that, I honestly tuned out the music. I couldn't really pay attention to it at that point. I was just, it was just bothering me, so... Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else have thoughts? Yeah, like, I'm glad you brought up music, because I, I was thinking about this, where the first one had a lot of needle drops. Like, where it's like, here's yeah. the, the actual popular song, and we're just going to play it right now, because it's the song that we were thinking about when we shot the scene uh, or a song that felt right when we were like in the editing suite. Um, and this movie has, you know, even, even where it has like popular songs, they're covers and there's like a lot going on to try to be this sort of like overly epic kind of orchestral version of all that. The score that we got in this movie is not the one that we would have gotten in 2017, even if Snyder had been on the, the entire time, because like, this is a problem DC was dealing with and why Snyder, the, uh, uh, why the Suicide Squad is so rough is because they like overly inserted music drops because at the time when this movie came out and especially when Suicide Squad came out like they were fighting with Guardians of the Galaxy like that was the movie that they were competing against like uh, we we weren't at Infinity War yet um, it, it was like all right let's let's do you know let, let let's do what what's super popular at the moment and like between the Guardians of the Galaxy movie and like Thor Ragnarok like it was all like yeah let's have you know let's have popular songs that will evoke emotions in as easy a digest format as possible. Yeah. And I felt it was like too, way too much in Suicide Squad because it was just like every scene had a new song and it was all popular and it always <laughs> was weird. And I, I felt like Justice League was in the same ballpark. It was a little less bad, but it was still in the same ballpark. And then this one is a whole new score. And I thought it was like fine. Like I think it did its job. Um, and, but they also were deliberately avoiding all all the needle drops. Like they, one, they didn't have the budget to do it again, uh, and two, they were trying to be different than the first one. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think with- I, the Guardians shout is, makes a lot of sense because when they're making Suicide Squad, I remember an interview um, with James Gunn where he's talking about him and David Ayer were actually emailing each other, being like, "Hey, I'm using this song, so you probably shouldn't use it." Like they they both knew what was happening, like with that, so. They had to keep track of who was using what songs and stuff. So I think it's really... And you think at how well Guardians did it and how not great Suicide Squad did it. And and it's just, you know... 
they have the same palette, just using it appropriately, you know. Cool. Yeah, it would have worked if, if uh, Cyborg was always logged into Spotify. No, like you just go into like Cyborg Headspace and he like on his HUD like his heads up display. He just yeah. like hits play and then like <laughs> scene that's starts. A, that's a Justice League thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's not because like Justice League didn't spend as much time in Cyborg's head either. No, oh, that's true yeah. too. Touche, touche. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Jay, Mike, were you about to say something? I was like, I just, I just feel like this one, like there is, there is times for like music in there. There's times for like for the music to come in, for a score to come in, and for like to like ambiotic music to be in the background. This one, there's just music, like all the time. There's always something playing in the background, and it's like it, it gets to be overbearing for a lot of the scenes to me sometimes. It was like you'll be having like this this meaningful scene, and then like the music just starts playing in the background. You're like, okay, that's kind of uncalled for. Or they'll be talking, and there's more music, and you're like, okay, we got it the first time, great, and it just keeps coming the entire movie. My thing is, are they overdoing it with the Wonder Woman guitar riff, which yes. I believe is from yes. Junkie XL? <laughs> I loved it the first time we saw it in, in, yeah. in, or heard it in Batman v Superman but like it plays four or five times in this one and every yeah. time she's like on screen it's like come on well and also when the Amazons different... are on screen and I appreciated yeah. the attempt to make it look like it was diegetic when uh, when like Hippolyta was shooting off the arrow and they've got like Amazon drummers like trying to like yeah. go in the same beat as like the song <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's really not that subtle of a song, and it, it is starting to get annoying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I want I wanted to bring up that that arrow shooting scene. Mm-hmm. So in this new version, uh, the idea is that if for whatever reason the Amazons who have been imprisoned or pushed to this island by the the world of man, they can shoot an arrow into the Parthenon, right? And that will set a fire, and then that particular arrow will also be the only thing that can open up a secret room that is underneath the Parthenon that has the whole story of Darkseid on it. No one's found it since then, and it was it's it, only the people that have this arrow, which is the people who are on this island, can tell it to anybody else. Like, in the 2017 version, it's just the arrow, and she's like, oh, that Amazing. reminds me. <laughs> this is this yeah there, an invasion is coming and I know this story from when I was a child kind of thing. This is she has to go she has to sneak in she has to take the arrow from you know the only two cops that are there because <laughs> a big old thing like this happens and only two cops are there. Uh, place it into a certain p- holder and the story is there for her to read. That that as a story that doesn't make any sense to me. See, I didn't take that as it being actually underneath the Parthenon. I took it as being she went into Tartarus and there, there was like a realm. Like, I, I, I took it that she stepped away from our reality. Uh, it seemed, it seemed she very shadowy like, and like, like yeah, it's subterranean, but it, it seemed underworldly. No, it's, it's, no, you're right. It's almost like she respawned somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, and she did I, it in heels. She did all that in heels. No, yeah, I was going to bring up the heels. That, she fell like hundreds of feet and landed, yes. and those heels didn't shatter on it. So. They're made from Amazonians. <laughs> my, my issue with it is, is yeah, she's from Themyscira, right? So the implication is that she didn't know the story of Darkseid, I guess. But then, did she ever ask why 50 of her fellow Amazonians had to stand guard over a box every day? Well, she never met them. They're, they're always at the... <laughs> like, they never leave. 
Like, I was just kind of like, that seems weird that, I don't know, that just seems like a weird way to do it. And it was more like to tell the audience what's going on. But it This was is an ongoing weird. problem, though, with, like, the current DCEU with Wonder Woman, and, or with Amazonian society in general. Like, they don't really assume that they have one. They're like, yeah, they're warriors, right? Yeah. And, like, even this, like, this, like the mother box that they protect should have been just been, like, the thing their society is built around. Like just protecting this fucking thing, uh, and it it's not. And it, but instead, they're just like we always train for battle. Who knows when it'll happen? I don't. I don't know. You more know, games, I mean, more 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 training, train more. <laughs> like I mean, they get to live forever, so they should train forever. I guess. Well, like compare it. Like we got to compare it with like a lot of like other interpretations of Wonder Woman for on Men of Steel mm-hmm. when we did a, a the like lead up to Wonder Woman 84 <laughs> and it was interesting looking at the Linda Carter series where there's a vibe that there's artistry that there are scholars that there's like all walks of, of people living on the island and I don't know why but like modern people just can't perceive a reality of Amazons where they have more than one thing yeah we so, did we did get a brief shot of some Amazonians or some, some Themyscirians uh, in like peasant clothes which I thought was weird. That was the first time we saw Amazons not, like, full out in armor. They were, like, in, like, cloth and stuff. And I was kind of like, is that, like, the serpent cast of Themyscira? I was like, what's I going felt on like here? That, I felt like that was the, the younger kids. Or not mm. kids, but younger women that were just, like, they have to keep... They have to do that part before they can go on to training. It's different than Wonder Woman herself, who got to train <laughs> from birth, obviously. Course, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. That's, that's, what, that's how I got from that. Um I also wanted to bring up, and this is the thing that Rich and I talk about a lot on the show uh, when talking about movies. I felt like this movie, with it being as long as it is and as much as footage as they shot, they did they did the the they broke the rule of of telling and not showing often. Like mm-hmm. we got a lot of parts where people were just explaining things where I was like, well, why didn't I get to see that? Like that's something that would have been good to have been filmed. I got one. <laughs> okay. The part where we have this giant, cool, uh, pretty entertaining battle sequence, and then at the end, when like the like was it the the tunnel is 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 getting is getting drowned out, and Aquaman comes in, finally comes in to join the team, and they're struggling, and Cyborg just dips, and like, oh shit, what an asshole! And then it's always oh shit, he went to go get the mother box because he figured it out. But then we just cut to everybody's just out of there. Nobody like how do they get out of the situation from not drowning? You know, because hmm. was it Flash was still hurt? We were talking about that 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 healing factor. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it just cuts to and it's like there's so much time to tell everything. Why not this one? <laughs> Why not actually finish that battle sequence? Hmm. Did anybody else have an example of that? Did anybody else feel that way, or my uh, Josue and myself the only ones that felt that way? I, I mean, pacing was weird in general. Like they some scenes. Like those are good examples of scenes that cut off too early, and other scenes like went too long. Like it's just an issue that was going on here. Um, trying to think if there's another good example like that where they didn't spend enough time with the characters. Oh, I mean, I feel I if I was like to go back and watch it again, because like I, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. I don't have like a, a great example off the top of my head, but there is so much expositional dialogue that yes. is completely like okay, like, can't we just, you know, couldn't we just see that? Yeah, but I'm, I I know exactly what you're talking about, but I'm having a hard time of, like, thinking, yeah. like, there's so much movie to try to, like, siphon back through it all <laughs> and be like, okay, well, where was this part at? But, yeah, there is definitely a lot of heavy-handed exposition. It was really prevalent with, with Diana, with Wonder Woman. 
she was just an exposition machine at times yes. where they're like, what's going on? And then Wonder Woman explains the plot of the movie to us again. Like, <laughs> again. And, I was, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. And, I don't know, that, that felt really forced and awful. <laughs> and a waste of Gal Gadot. I also feel like there was a part with Alfred doing it, too. Like, he comes in and he's like, no, that's you can't do that. And, you know, uh, he's probably explaining things about Barry and, and Cyborg, but I remember I remember Alfred being being part of it for one of the, one of the ones that I, I I saw. But uh, I guess I should have thought about that more before <laughs> bringing it up. Yeah, I, I right. think the thing is that they they just have every scene that they like could think to put in in this movie, and so like it when you were doing the the two hour cut, if you were taking this and chopping it down, you'd only pick one of them, and they've got all of them. And, like, you'd pick the one that's, like, more exposition if they don't have time for the longer, more, like, kind of showy kind of scenes. Like, the mother box stuff getting explained in the flashback, you don't actually need that scene. Like, it's nice to have. But, like, you could, like, they, they tell you enough times what the, what the deal with the mother box is. Um, it's just, like, they have all these different versions. And rather than pick the one that's best to tell the movie, they just, like, have them all. Mm-hmm. While we're on the topic of mother boxes. Uh, <laughs> there's a scene where everyone like has these giant like uh, fortresses and locks and keys where they put their mother boxes on like a heavy guard and the humans are like here's a hole in the ground they're like looking at it like that'll be fine this, this because humans perfectly. are stupid I that's like, why I was like what I was like what however <laughs> however the human one is the one that, that takes the longest exactly. to find right like, <laughs> yeah because people keep finding him and keeping it <laughs> Well, Not only that, but the other thing that's hilarious about that, okay, two things. One, when the mother box awoke in, uh, with the Amazons, why didn't they just effing move it then? Why didn't they take one person and just be like, you get on a horse and go now? They waited like five days. <laughs> They're like, nothing's happened for a week, my queen. And she was like, why didn't you move it a week ago? Seriously. And that, said, that scene is way better. Like, that, that was probably the one where I was like, man, this is actually like substantially better than the theatrical cut. Because the theatrical cut, it's just like, oh shit, I just woke up. And then boom, Steppenwolf shows up and it's like, I'm taking it. No, you ain't. And... No, no, I am, and he does like that. Like, they actually all the Amazons fight him. It felt appropriate. That's when the fucking parademons show up for the first time, as opposed to the theatrical cut. Which man, we haven't talked about this part. The parademons are just there at the start of the movie, um, and I'm like, it, it never explained how. At least like now they show up as part of yeah. Steppenwolf first arriving, and we see him first arriving. Uh, so that's like, those are good choices. I don't know. Again, like it's so weird that. <laughs> they don't find a better way to tie in Superman with it all. Like, it's just like, oh, he's so scary that, like, the mother boxes were afraid. They were they were scared of him. He was He's big and he's mean. He, he's a mean man of steel. He's mopey. Uh, so Darkseid shouldn't come here because he's mean. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, oh, he's dead. I guess we can wake up again and, and welcome our death god. <laughs> For the record, regardless. The other thing I was going to say, though, to to kind of go along with what J. Mike's saying is, yes, it's really stupid that people buried them, right? But then Cyborg, they're talking about how intelligent he is and all this stuff. He knows that somebody dug this shit up and he goes and buries it again <laughs> at his own grave. I'm like, what? After keeping the- it in his closet. So that is a step his up. His closet. <laughs> that is a step up. <laughs> right. Well, uh, the Amazonian secure vault had a skylight, guys. Yeah, like, it sure did. And I was like, and I, I, we were watching it because my roommate had watched that part before me. And I'm sitting there being like, 
why is it got a skylight? She, she's like, you'll know in a moment. And then he boom tubed in. And she's like, he won't be able to boom tube in if there wasn't a skylight. I was like, oh. <laughs> yes, he can. Like, I was like, yeah. yeah. I like that when Cyborg had it in his room, clutching it, and the parody was like just a wall away. The parody was like, oh shit, I got found out. I see Cops. <laughs> I was going to say that in both versions, Steppenwolf. Uh, getting the box in Atlantis was pretty easy both times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, what's up with Atlantis not protecting it very well. well but. British Mira put up a better fight in this one. British yeah. Mira? <laughs> Barely. <laughs> Barely. Also, you want to talk about that, Axel? Also, uh, did in, the, in the, 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 the theatrical cut, were they able to talk underwater? underwater? Or did no. they have to use no. They had to no. use a bubble? They, they had they to open the bubble up the bubbles. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't Which until Aquaman so when they were much, like... Because like, then they do the bubble for them to have a conversation. And I was like, I was convinced that was a Whedon choice. <laughs> yeah. So that they could have the scene. But like, he no. also had... I think like, it was a James Wan choice. The Aquaman movie to go off of. So I was like, why not just go ahead and like use that going forward? And I was like... Ah, okay, well, no, they cool. hadn't had the Aquaman movie yet. That, yeah. the, yeah. that is the interesting thing. Like, This movie ties in better to Aquaman... Like, it, it actually fits a lot better, aside from Aquaman having literally the exact same arc in this movie and in Aquaman. In this movie, he's like, he takes up his mother's trident and also puts on the armor for the first time to lead his people or to be a champion of his people. In Aquaman, he takes up his, I guess, his, inherit, his <laughs> ancestral trident and puts on the armor for the first time to become the true king of his people. Like, it's the exact same plot for him in yeah. two movies. <laughs> I mean, there's not a lot of plot for Aquaman in general in all the comic books. So. Yes, there is. He has to take his shirt off in no. every scene somehow. That's yeah, every we got more William scene. Defoe too. Yes, we did. I William forgot he was so different. He looked terrible. Awful. He he looked dead. He looked like Steven Tyler, but older. <laughs> oh, jeez. But I appreciated his presence. That actually makes yeah. it feel connected yeah. to the world. Whereas, like. It doesn't feel connected to, like, Wonder Woman 84, which, sure, came so much later, but also, like, came out before this movie came out. In the timeline, yeah. She's, she learns to fly in 1984, but yet doesn't do it here? Right. Let alone that he couldn't make the, the spaceship disappear like he did in 84. <laughs> with some kind of magic or something. I mean, that could have helped. We, we can't see through this barrier. Hang on. Let me do a thing. <laughs> Okay, so I've been teasing it for the last two parts. I need to talk about the Martian Manhunter now. Uh, um, how yeah. is it that, one, you're going to give this big old speech to the Martha Kent character where you actually make her sound great. She's she's telling her, her at one point, could have been, like, daughter-in-law, be like, hey, look, I loved him too, but you got to move on kind of thing. Like, you, you need to you need to live in the world. We need you. And then totally take that away from Martha Kent and be like, "No, nah, that was the Martian Manhunter," and, and the the whole time. Which you know then, that right, you know, that right before he went and knocked on the door, he was just like, "Look good, feel good." That's the best performance of my life. Let's do He's this. like, "I'm a big, shining, bright star." <laughs> this is my example of a of a decision that they made based on fan reactions that were bad, mm-hmm. like. It, this is a waste. This is a waste of Martian Manhunter. It doesn't make any sense. It like all of the scenes are bad, and the reason why they did it was because Snyder mentioned that in his head canon, in Man of Steel, that general was Martian Manhunter secretly the whole yeah. time. It didn't so make sense then that. because we were all like, "Wait, so when they were going to turn the world into Krypton and kill everyone <laughs> on the planet, 
Not you were like, exactly. well, my planet, which is nothing like Krypton, in the opposite direction from Earth. Like, if Krypton is bigger and has a redder sun, Mars, like, Mars is not in that direction. Um, and, like, they're like, all right, well, you know what? We're going to let it fly, uh, fly on this one. Then we're going to have an even bigger threat that he apparently knows something about because he's just in play. They're, they're, they're going to just have him not be a player? Like, that scene with, with Martha, or as Martha, I should say, is not a good scene. It, no. Or rather, it's a fine scene with Martha. It's yeah. terrible that it's given to then Jean. Like, yeah. it worked fine in the in the Whedon verse or in the the Justice League cut where they're at work and like she's there. Yeah. There's a, like a there's a weird detail of like, well, what, how fast did Martha get back to Smallville? Which was like, like the only like kind of problem there. But like, it was a perfectly fine scene there. It's a perfectly fine scene here. But it then is like, how the fuck would he even know to say those things? Unless he was reading both of their minds, like not just because yeah. like yeah, you could say that he wouldn't make a mistake that. Lois Lane would catch because he would be telepathic, but mm. he would he like said the right folksy wisdom to like have a meaningful thing there, and then at the end of the fucking movie, he's just like by the, like he shows up and he's like you know Darkseid who I'm very familiar with, uh, he's not going to be like swayed so easily. Um, by the way, fr- folks to call me the Martian Manhunter. <laughs> I care now. Now I care. Right. But yeah. Right. Like, if he was an active participant, different story. If anything, different story. If he was asleep and they woke him up, different story. If, like, if he was buried within the mind of someone who Darkseid was torturing or, or Steppenwolf was torturing, different story. But the, and he's entirely a passive observer, but they indicate just how fucking powerful he is. Yeah. Yeah. For those who read the comic books... You know that the Martian Manhunter has equivalently the powers of everybody on the Justice League. He is just as strong as uh, as Aquaman. He's just as like you know uh, intelligent. Well, wait, or let's just say, let's just get the point out. He's Superman, but with more powers, but a worse weakness. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping that somebody would open the door with like a candlelight. And he's like, oh no, fire! Steps away or something. That would have been kind of funny. <laughs> And I could understand it if they did the they did the thing that they did in um, that New Frontier animated where he's like I live on the outside I observe I don't interact you know kind of thing uh, I'm I'm being passive but he, the idea the identity that he's taken on in these movies is a general that fights wars mm-hmm. like you're not being passive then so there's no reason for him not to have become part of the Justice League. Oh, God. Yeah. Let yeah, alone, or dude. keep your cover, but be a military aide in this situation <laughs> yeah. where it's like all of a sudden the U.S. military shows up, which might be a bit jingoistic, but fuck it, it's the Justice League of America. Um, <laughs> and it's and like all of a sudden have uh, like Martian Manhunter be talking to Batman, be like, by the way, uh, th- your reinforcements are here and like reveal that he's actually like in a high up position or something like that. And like mm-hmm. in a psychic conversation. Why did he like why did he even show up to Batman? <laughs> Like, from a power standpoint, he doesn't need to go there. He could have just mind put himself there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, I was the, not going to rip on it that he kind of distinctly looks like Piccolo from Dragon Ball. I, I, said, the same <laughs> thing on you. I said the same thing on Twitter. Like, uh, they gave him the, like, the weird... I mean, it's, it's Piccolo, it's Toriyama in general, but it's got the, like, weird, like, ridge kind of elements yes, to him yeah, in design. Yeah. 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 And then, the worst goddamn Snyder choice of being, like, we're gonna have, like, glowing, burning fire cross on his chest. <laughs> like, it, like, everyone... 
like the Kryptonians, the New Gods, the Martians, they all have the same this is what aliens look like design language to them. And that's yeah. annoying. Almost looks like a scroll. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> Almost. I can live with that. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it wouldn't be fair. No. <laughs> that, so, yeah, just the, the, to me, that's like one of the biggest uh, grievances because, like, I to me, Martian Manhunter, and I know in the most recent versions of the Justice League, Martian Manhunter is the heart of the Justice League. Like, he's the one mm-hmm. that keeps them together and yeah. is always a part of the Justice League. So, to have him play such a secondary part to the whole barely. movie, it barely be in there, and then, like, have these little things that where he shows up, it just... it. It made me more upset than anything else. <laughs> Once Let again. me throw out a name that I think kind of will like influence some of this discussion. Jeff Johns. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes. We were talking earlier about how Cyborg is the is, is the sixth member of this team uh, because of the New 52 reboot. Likewise, Martian Manhunter is not there because of the New 52 reboot. Like, they're there is a perspective of who's important and that's uh if you were a fan of the 1980s superpowers cartoon that's your justice league roster minus firestorm (laughs) (laughs) or like going into like cyborg a little bit when they're infiltrating and batman and wonder woman are like planning out it's like hey you go left i go right and steppenwolf is is holding victor's dad it's like chokehold and then victor of course like it's his dad so he just jumps in but it's just like they were just planning it out. Yeah. Teen tiny emotion of you to do. <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. But my thing is, they're just introducing more characters and still no Green Lantern to join. I swear, if Zatanna joins dead. in before no, Green Lantern, I'm going to throw dead. something. They killed them all already. They're all dead. Yeah. They're, all dead. <laughs> they're, like the they're not all court. dead. You saw the ring flying around. It's going to somebody. I mean, come no, he's, on now. He's dead, too. Yeah. He's dead, too. He died <laughs> off the screen. <laughs> like I said, if Zatanna gets in there before Green Lantern, I'm throwing something, all right? Steve well, might get but in the Snyderverse, right? <laughs> the, the yeah. first Green Lantern died by Darkseid's hand, apparently, yeah. Or Steppenwolf, depending on which version of the story you prefer. Then one fell uh, uh, fell down dead uh, when a gold mine uh, had a cave in, and all the gold collapsed on top of him. Then another person had a, a type of yellow fungus get into his bloodstream, and he couldn't do anything about that. Um, and then someone just happened to be stabbed to death with what like was a gold letter opener. And like each time, they just keep on dying. Like. <laughs> Does Come it eventually on. get to Evan, sir? Like, do we eventually get to Ryan Reynolds? <laughs> right, but he steps on a a rust, but it's a, a weird rust that has a yellow hue to it, uh, rusty nail, and then that causes gives him tetanus, and then like oh the yellow gosh. tetanus is why he dies. <laughs> Look, I, I understand you're throwing all this hate at the Green Lantern, and I don't appreciate it. Oh, <laughs> I love Green Lanterns in general. I mean, like, I'm not we need oh, Green Lanterns, but and, uh, and just to bring back my point, I don't really love the Jeff Johns era of Green Lantern stuff. Like, I think the yeah. the Spectrum stuff is fanficy and bad um i think parts of it are okay but like that's just where it is like this justice league yeah it's weird that they don't have green lantern the reason they don't have green lantern though is because the ryan reynolds movie was that bad like that movie (laughs) was supposed to be part of a bigger world that's why they had amanda waller in it like it was it felt like it was going to be a here's a big universe kind of movie and then it was so bad and so panned that they don't even like try to like connect it here so the fact that we got any kind of reference is fine. Like Martian Manhunter being in this version, which was just fully, fully done from 
the in the reshoots. Like it wasn't in the original stuff. Yeah. Like like all of this stuff is just awkward and bad and a waste of a character. And they were trying to like be like, here's 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 more sequel bait in the epilogue amongst <laughs> all the up, other epilogue stuff. There's also another superhero out here. Why? Why was like, like he could at least be in the flash or the flash forward? Like, like, like have him matter oh, somewhere. Cool. Like, what if he's holding off Superman while they escape? Like something. Yeah. I mean, like based on his preferences, if he was just gonna give us an unpleasant reach around for four hours, <laughs> we'd have like a dude throw on a Hal jacket and that's it. Yeah. It yeah. Been what anything. if Martian Manhunter was commanding the military and the fighter pilots that were coming in were being led by Captain Boom. Jordan? There you go. There you go. <laughs> that, that, or John Stewart. Oh yeah, well that's the Marines on the ground. Yeah. You could have had that too. We've got a base okay. outside that was set up by our like our, our captain slash architect here, John Stewart. <laughs> no, <laughs> both of them. You wanna know what we did get though? And this is the last character I wanted to talk about. Uh, we get a, a scientist that is the assistant to oh, um, yes. Joe, Joe Morton's character of Silas Stone. Uh, and then at the very end of the movie, like we know that he's, he, they call him Ryan throughout the whole thing. But we at the very end of the movie, security guard comes up to him with a ID badge. He's like, wait, so you're in charge now, right? Uh, Ryan Choi, uh, nanotechnology? And like it's like this big reveal of who gives a fuck? Like, there's no reason to have this long shot of of holding on it like you're right like look i read comic books and i don't even i haven't even read that many ryan Choi the adam books like (laughs) who knows about that character i mean i feel like people know the name enough just in that like there was a big push to be like no this is the new adam and like he showed up in like the cw stuff also like but man that scene was so (laughs) heavy-handed like Oh, you're, you're master of nanotech stuff. Yep, that's what it says. That's what it says. <laughs> was it was it worse? Was it worse than the Robin reveal at, at the end of uh, the Dark Knight Rises? No, no, it can't be quite as bad as that. No, that, that was no, also it can't like, be worse than that. Bad. No, no. That was like we're gonna have you not be named the right thing this whole time, and then and, like that would be like, well, man, Peter. Jack, like you're really something of a, uh, of a Clark Kent, aren't you? Or something like that. <laughs> or the, the MJ in Spider-Man: Homecoming. That was pretty bad too. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I, at least the initials work. <laughs> true, true, true. Uh, all right, that's that's all that we're going to speak about on on this part of uh, of the I got big one more crossover, thing, of it. which would be that oh. they they should have revealed that the graphic designer that Luther hired for his his uh, portfolio oh, of superpowered beings was <laughs> Kyle Rayner. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> and they all meet up at Guy's Bar afterwards. Exactly. <laughs> Kyle Rayner's on the run because Lex Luthor's out of prison, and like, who knows about the the, the portfolio of super beings that he put together? Only his graphic designer who somehow was not already murdered Kyle Rayner <laughs> he's talking to his best buddy Guy the bartender oh my <laughs> while sitting down the, down the bar from him is a, uh, a black man with glowing green eyes <laughs> there you go Green Lantern Corps there you go uh, don't forget uh, the World War II veteran Alan Scott he was also, he's also there yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you how I did it in my day kids <laughs> World, War, World War II veteran and TV mogul that's right and TV mogul you gotta throw that in there Oh, uh, so let's go ahead and get a, a round of where we can find everybody. Steven, where can people find you online? 
Or you can catch me at my YouTube channel at Director Man Prog, where I put on weekly Senegal reviews. Also, follow my Instagram page at Senegal Steven for more fun reviews. That is at Senegal Steven. Also, I'm the co-host of The Real Movie Critic vs. Senegal, where you can find at CertainPOV.com, where on Spotify and iTunes. And his co-host is... I am Hans Martin Jr., your Real Movie Critic. Uh, you could find uh, you could read my blog at realmoviecritic.com. You could also uh, find me on Facebook at Real Movie Critic. You could also catch me on Twitter and Instagram at RealCritic34. I am the co-host of the Real Movie Critic versus Cineguy, and also our bonus episode, Sparn Screens. Check it out as well. Josue, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Josue Reads Josue. I also host a show called Jukebox Vertigo. Twitter of the same name at Jer- Jukebox Vertigo. Say <laughs> <laughs> uh, find me on Twitter at WHI Podcast Keith and our show, Me and Hostway Show, We Have Issues. We review every week some new comics, uh, way too many comics every week. And that's uh, WHI Podcast, We Have Issues. J Mike. Hey, uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at J Mike 101. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> in, in case. Uh, I am Case. I'm one of the hosts of Men of Steel. You can find my stuff at certainpov.com, and you can find me online at Case Aiken. And Richard, where can people find you? Uh, so you can find all my social media on rycohen.com, R-I-C-O-W-N.com. I am at Mitchipedia, G-E-M. G-E-M stands for Geek Elite Media. The rest of Geek Elite Media can be found on Twitter at Geek Elite Media, at Geek Elite Media on Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Media is our Facebook page. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on our network, on our website, geekleetmedia.com. All right. Everybody's got to sign out with me. All you'd have to do is say, wait, you know what? Continue. The conversation continues over on Men of Steel on the certain POV network. So go over there, check out part four of the just Zack Snyder's Justice League crossover event, and make sure that you uh, rate and review everybody as uh, as as you listen to these. So, but until next time, this is the Mitch and Rich Show on the Geek Elite Media Network. Saying always remember to geek, geek out. out. This concludes our broadcast. 